welcome back to that's what i call jones history i'm your host christina let's go on another journey of knowledge this is part two of our brief history of scotland we are going to be discussing uh, from sources listed below the 13th century all the way up until the 15th century there are some african americans of note that do begin to show up in scotland around the 15th century and we will be discussing them towards the end so let's start with robert the first death he died in 1329 leaving his five-year-old son to reign as david ii during his minority the country was ruled by a series of governors two of whom died as a result of a renewed invasion by english forces in 1332 this was on the pretext of restoring edward balliol son of john balliol to the scottish throne thus starting the second war of independence basically england's like we didn't lose we're talking about practice not a game not a game not a game we're talking about practice despite victories at dublin moor in 1332 and halladen hill in 1333 in the face of tough scottish resistance led by sir andrew murray the son of wallace's comrade in arms successive attempts to secure balliol on the throne failed so you get nothing you lose good day sir in 1341 david was able to return from temporary exile in france in 1346 under the terms of the old alliance he invaded england in the interests of france but was defeated and taken prisoner at the battle of Nivelles cross on october the 17th of 1346 and would remain in england as a prisoner for 11 years his cousin robert stewart ruled as guardian in his absence balliol finally resigned his claim to the throne to edward in 1356 before retiring to yorkshire where he died in 1364 without swearing allegiance to edward iii david was released for a ransom of a hundred thousand marks in 1357 but he was unable to pay resulting in secret negotiations with the english and attempts to secure secession to the scottish throne for an english king major issues were his marriages and the failure to produce an heir his first wife joan the sister of edward iii left him for england sometime after his return and she died without children in 1362 Later, bitch, get fucked. His planned second marriage to Margaret, the widow of the knight Sir John Loggie, resulted in a factional division that alienated nobles, including Robert Stewart. Eventually, the king backed the queen's opponents and attempted to divorce her. She fled to the continent and appealed to the Pope for support. Before he could marry again, David died, apparently unexpectedly bringing the bruce dynasty to an end and quite an end it was left by not one but two wives i want a divorce you want a divorce 
I have wings, Tolly. I want to fly. When we start to do an eventual series on Scottish kings and queens, I will uh, be very curious to learn what it was about him that made women flee. Uh, his breath stink, he have halitosis, you know, had a little dick. What, what was it? Didn't like women in general. If the name Stuart sounded awfully familiar to you, and if you are a fan of history, it indeed should. After the unexpected death of the childless David II, Robert Stuart, the first of the Stuart monarchs, came to the throne in 1371. Despite his relatively venerable age of 55, his son, John, Earl of Carrick, grew impatient and assumed the reins of government as Lord Lieutenant. Can't you see he's the man? Let me hear you applaud. He is more than a man. He's a shiny golden god. A border incursion into England led to the victory at Otterburn in 1388, but at the cost of the life of John's ally, James Douglas, second Earl of Douglas. This, along with Carrick having suffered a debilitating horse kick, led to a shift in power to his brother, Robert Stuart, Earl of Fife. Who now was appointed as lieutenant in his place robert ii died in 1390 john took the regnal name robert iii to avoid awkward conversations or questions over the exact status of the first king john but power rested with his brother robert now duke of albany after the suspicious death of his elder son david duke of the rossay is it rossay in 1402 robert fearful for the safety of his younger son james the future james i sent him to france in 1406 however the english captured him in route and he spent the next 18 years as a prisoner held for ransom that's fucked up as a result after the death of robert iii later that year who clearly could not pay that ransom because it took 18 whole fucking years regents ruled scotland first albany and after his death in 1420 his son murdoch during whose term of office the country suffered considerable unrest they probably were wondering why nobody paid the ransom for our rightful king who is now a prisoner of the english like a damn trophy and you better hope his ass do not get out of jail even though it sounds like he does because he christens himself james the first because i can see him being very angry and hurt they ask you how you are you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine but you just can't get into it because they would never understand when the scots finally began the ransom payments in 1424 james age 32 returned with his english bride joan beaufort determined to assert this authority damn he got married he must have not been that much of a prisoner then if he got himself a whole ass wife it's like you can't fuck nobody except this english bride that we somehow are going to backdoor politics to find our way to the throne through your children because <laughs> this is the english we are talking about he revoked grants from customs and of lands made during his captivity what i tell y'all he's too dangerous to be left alive this was undermining the position of those who had gained in his absence 
particularly the albanese stewards james had murdoch and two of his sons tried and then executed with further enforcement of his authority by more arrests and forfeiture of lands i told you what did i tell you didn't i tell you because i told you mm-hmm. and when did i tell you a long time ago and what did i say will happen when i told you exactly what just happened i don't know why the Albertine stewards would have been hanging around y'all should have known what was about to happen in 1436 he attempted to regain one of the major border fortresses still in english lands or hands at roxburgh but the siege ended in a humiliating defeat he was murdered by discontented council member robert graham and his co-conspirators near the blackfriars church perth in 1437 these niggas crazy as fuck and to think this all started with his father trying to protect him the assassination left the king's seven-year-old son to reign as james ii after the execution of a number of suspected co-conspirators or conspirators leadership fell to archibald douglas fifth earl of douglas as lieutenant general of the realm is this kind of like hand of the king after his death in 1439 power was shared uneasily between the douglas family william first lord of Crichton, lord chancellor of scotland and sir alexander livingston of calendar i know one's title sounds so far superior than the other a conspiracy to break the power of the douglas family led to the quote black dinner at edinburgh castle i know it's edinburgh but i i can't help but say bird it's just an english or not english american thing of me in 1440 which saw the judicial murder of the young william douglas sixth earl of douglas and his brother by livingston and Crichton. the main beneficiary was the victim's great uncle james douglas earl of avondale who became the seventh earl of douglas and emerged as the main power in the government there's a whole lot of i mean i thought the english were pretty cutthroat with their they're taking they're taking people out and shit but i feel like they they may have had a little bit more restraint in the regicide side of things in 1449 james ii was declared to have reached his majority but the douglases consolidated their position and the king began a long struggle for power leading to the murder of the eighth earl of douglas at sterling castle on february the 22nd of 1452 this opened an intermittent, intermittent civil war as James attempted to seize Douglas lands, punctuated by a series of humiliating reversals. Gradually, James managed to win over the allies of the Douglases with offers of lands, titles, and offices, and the Douglases' forces were finally defeated at the Battle of Arkenholm on May the 12th of 1455. Once independent, James II proved to be an active and interventionist king. He traveled the country dispensing justice in some of the unpopular policies of the following reign, such as the sale of pardons, may have been originated in this period. Ambitious plans to take Orkney, Shetland, and the Isle of Man 
came to nothing however his attempt to take roxborough or waxbur from the english in 1460 however did succeed but at the cost of his life as he was killed by an exploding artillery piece i don't see many of y'all dying of old age just a little bit of an observation james the second son i'm surprised y'all had time to sire sons age nine or ten became king as james the third and his widow mary of gelders acted as regent until her own death three years later the boyd family led by robert lloyd boyd and Mar- <laughs> that's not a funny lloyd boyd lord boyd emerged as the leading force in the government making themselves unpopular through self-aggrandizement with lord robert's son thomas being made earl of Arran and marrying the king's sister mary while robert and thomas were out of the country in 1469 the king asserted his control executing members of the boyd family his foreign policy included a reapproachment with england with his eldest son the future james iv being betrothed to sicily of york the daughter of edward iv of england a change of policy that was immensely unpopular at the time i would imagine so during the 1470s conflict developed between the king and his brothers alexander duke of albany and john earl of mar mar died suspiciously in 1480 and his estates were forfeited and possibly given to a royal favorite robert cochrane also known as his assassin i'm just suppositioning that but that's how that shit usually goes albany fled to france in 1479 accused of treason by this point the alliance with england was failing and from 1480 there was intermittent war followed by a full-scale invasion of scotland two years later led by the duke of gloucester the future richard iii and accompanied by albany yeah because all the civil war you guys are doing by bumping each other off is going to give your enemy the perfect opportunity to get on and that's that's what they love is when you're when you're split apart when you're civil warring that's when france wanted to always pop up james was imprisoned by his own subjects in edinburgh castle and albany was established as lieutenant general having taken berwick upon tweed the english retreated and albany's government began to collapse forcing him to flee despite conspiracies and more attempts at invasion james was able to regain power however because no one can seem to get this shit right in scotland i'm a little disappointed here the king managed to alienate the barons refusing to travel for implement implementation of justice preferring to be resident in Edinburgh. basically i don't want to do my job because i've been out there in them streets and they scurry he debased the coinage probably creating a financial crisis he continued to pursue an english alliance and dismissed key supporters including his chancellor colin campbell first earl of argyle becoming estranged from his wife margaret of denmark and his son who's also called james because we know that the monarchs were not creative when it came like that book of names was about five 
five five lines and that's what they chose from uh why would you pursue a english alliance after they invaded you that's like basically saying keep shitting on me i enjoy it like the shit's coming out the ass and it's splatting over your face and you're like oh yeah i love this i love it so much uh matters came to a head in 1488 when he faced an army raised by the disaffected nobles and many former counselors acting in the name of prince of the prince of james the fourth he was defeated at the battle of Sashi burn and killed james the fourth was 15 when he came to the throne but soon proved a capable and independent-minded ruler whose reign is often considered to have seen a flowering of scottish culture under the influence of the european renaissance he took a direct interest in the administration of justice and frequently moved his court in legal circuits of justice Ares or Ares. he defeated a major northern rebellion mainly of supporters of the murder james iii it began in dunbarton in 1489 led by the earl of lennox and lord ally and spreading through the north james is credited with finally bringing the lordship of isles under control i'll put a whooping on their ass so fast boy he forced through the forfeiture of the lands of the last lord john Macdonald in 1493 backing alexander gordon third earl of huntley's power in the region and launching a series of naval campaigns and sieges that resulted in the capture or exile of his rivals by 1507 for a time he supported perkin warbeck the pretender to the english throne and carried out a brief invasion of england on be- on his behalf in 1496 however he then established good diplomatic relations with england and in 1502 signed the treaty of perpetual peace marrying henry the seventh daughter margaret tudor thus laying the foundation for the 17th century union of the crowns animosity with henry the eighth of england helped prompt the renewal of the odd alliance in 1512 when the pope organized a holy league which included england against the french in 1511 james was caught between incompatible diplomatic policies he tried to suggest an unrealistic european crusade to constantinople but after border skirmishing when the french were attacked by the english he declared war on england and was excommunicated by the pope he sent his navy and gunners to support the french and in 1513 led a major army of perhaps 34,000 over the border after using his formidable artillery train to take norham castle he marched south where the invasion was stopped decisively on september the 9th of 1513 at the battle of flooded the king many of his nobles and a large number of ordinary troops were killed commemorated by the song the fleurs of the forest oh wait i think it's the fleurs of the forest once again scotland's government lay in hands of regents in the name of the infant james v despite the continuing war and unrest there is evidence of economic recovery in scotland during this period and that's the greatest shock of all castle building and the extending of monasteries and cathedrals were widespread work was done on the royal residences at 
Lingatho and Sterling. Interesting Scottish writing from the late 14th century onward, both in the vernacular and in Latin, has survived. Little is left of the corpus of medieval writings in Gaelic. Nevertheless, or nonetheless, the sophistication of the Western Highland stone carvings of the later Middle Ages suggests that a strong literary culture too was associated with the courts of the lords of the isle and other chiefs in the 14th century the papacy had built up its claims to appoint to the higher offices in the church in scotland it had established a system of provisions or papal appointments to vacant offices medieval scottish society was stratified we know more about status in early gaelic society than perhaps any other early medieval european society owing primarily to the large body of legal texts and tracts on status which are extant the legal tract that has come down to us as the laws of bretts and scots lists five grades of man king mormer or earl toy sesh or thane octigran and serf for pre-12th century scotland we should add slave to this category the standard differentiation in medieval european society between the bellators those who fight i.e aristocrats the orators those who pray i.e the clergy and the laborators those who work i.e peasants was useless for understanding scottish society in the earlier period but becomes more useful in the post davidian period most of the territory subject to the king of scots north of the fourth was directly under a lord who in medieval scottish was called a mormere early gaelic law tracts first written down in the ninth century first reveal a society highly concerned with kinship status honor and the regulation of blood feuds scottish common law began to take shape at the end of the period assimilating gaelic and celtic law with practices from anglo-norman england and the continent in the 12th century and certainly in the 13th strong continental legal influences began to have more effect such as canon law and various anglo-norman practices pre-14th century law amongst the native scots is not always well attested however our extensive knowledge of early gaelic law gives some basis for reconstructing pre-14th century scottish law it's often assumed that african people arrived in scotland in the 18th century or even later but in fact africans were resident in scotland much earlier and in the early 16th century they were high status members of the royal retinue this is clearly recorded at the court of james the fourth between 1473 and 1513 one african peter the morian or peter the moor seemed to have had a special relationship with the king he was free to travel and was given five french crowns at the king's request for a journey to france in september 1504 james iv was entertained at falkland by fiddlers ludus and an african drummer the unnamed african drummer also traveled with the king 
he had been present on the king's raid in Exdale earlier that year and together with four italian minstrels which are of course italian minstrels <laughs> was taken to provide entertainment at visits to peblis or peebles dumfries or dumfries brecken and falklands where lodgings were paid for them the drummer had a family and in the court records there is mention of a payment to the more tabraneres reef and his band the african drummer's wife and the child i'm trying to read gaelic i'm not good at reading gaelic on january the 25th of 1503 james the fourth married margaret tudor who uh, lived from 1489 to 1541 daughter of the english king henry the second or the seventh three years later in 1506 when two enslaved african women arrived in leith they were presented as quote gifts to king james the fourth according to contemporary records they had been rescued more accurately seized from a portuguese ship by scottish privateers the barton brothers the moorish lasses were presented to the king who not only accepted the gift quote but took the greatest interest in their welfare end quote and they were incorporated into the queen's household they were later converted to christianity and baptized as margaret and ellen or helen their real names and country of origin lost to history something similar happened to queen victoria when one of her privateers returned and brought a young west african slave at the age of five by the name of sarah forbes bernetta later davies as a gift slash present but because you know it's not cool to be gifted a slave if you're a monarch swearing we don't own people they just make them their goddaughters there's also talk that king louis the 14th i believe the most famous one that his wife had uh had had an affair with one of her black attendees a man that's supposed to have also been uh a midget and due to that affair a biracial daughter was born and the king instead of killing this child which many believe that he was supposed to have done because it came out you know black as night uh put her in a convent for the rest of her life and uh will never get the full i mean sometimes when there's smoke there's fire sometimes there's only smoke but these are some of the stories out there but you know there's a president set for it and it seems to seems to have gone way further back than than the 18th century because this is what the 15th century helen became one of queen margaret's attendants and was described as the queenest black madine she was awarded the favored position reserved for the most beautiful lady of the court of becoming the lady of the tournament of the black knight with king james the fourth overcoming opponents to win her hand forgive my once again terrible terrible gaelic but uh quote the jesting of the wild knit for the black lady end quote was held 
June 1507 and again in May 1508. The invitation to one of the tournaments that was sent to France was illuminated with gold leaf and gave details of the events to be held at Edinburgh. In the 1507, the Black Lady's gown was made from Flanders damask figured with flowers bordered with yellow and green taffeta with outer sleeves of black gauze and inner sleeves and gloves of black leather and she wore a drape of the same black gauze about her shoulders and arms in 1508 the costume was renewed with a green woolen skirt and new leather sleeves and gloves sounds like helen was a very attractive lady william dunbar's contemporary poem of anne blackmore immortalized helen's role in the tournament he must have met people of various european nations at the scottish court but the presence of an african woman albet decreed the most beautiful at court led him to adopt a mocking and racist tone throughout the five stanzas of this poem with recurring negative descriptions of her facial features i'm not surprised motherfuckers not surprised not surprised anytime a black woman is put on a pedestal there'll be a someone of racial racial disgust that will try to knock them down the poem now serves as not only a window into a bygone courtly life but also as a sad indictment of scottish perceptions to race revealed in what is possibly the first poem of this type to be written about an african woman in the english language and that is pretty damn sad that a king would give a woman of african descent all of this favor and the reaction would be to not attack them on any type of personal level because you can't but to attack them on a racial level which only continues to take this moment that could be a moment of some recognition conciliation so on and so forth and only use it to to spread bigotry that's going to conclude our part two but don't worry we'll be back for part three of scottish history we'll be doing the 15th century onward to the 18th century so look forward to that if you want to send feedback blackercouch at gmail.com or you can leave a comment below on this podcast my social media will be there as well remember to like share and subscribe until the next time peace hair grease and black magic